Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, let's just love him together. Let's lift hands again and praise his beautiful name. The name that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus. The name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. 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 Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The Bible refers to times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. That's what this is. A time of refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. Why don't we just lift our praise to Him one more time before we enter the word of the Lord. Glory to the name of God. The one who saves us, the one who sets us free, the one who gives us peace, the one who sustains us day by day, hallelujah. The one to whom we pray, the one in whom we trust, oh, hallelujah, glory to the Lamb of God, glory to the Lamb of God. Remember that the glory cloud filled the tabernacle to the point that the priests could not stand to minister. Amen. There are some times where you just bask in His presence and the only thing you can say is hallelujah. Praise be unto the Lord. Praise be unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. In the spirit of this that we are experiencing, I would read to you a few verses of Scripture. From the book of Nehemiah, the 8th chapter, to begin our study this evening. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 2. And I'm going to entitle this, The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength. The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2, Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. I would like to read beginning at the 8th verse of the same chapter. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tirshatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. Why don't we just lift praises unto him and ask his blessing upon the remainder of this night. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what we feel in this place. It is strengthening to us. It is enriching to us. Oh God, it is refreshing to us. We worship you and you alone and we praise. Hallelujah. We praise your holy name, oh God. We thank you for your mighty power. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. I want to say before we begin this evening, I want to say a great big thank you on behalf of my wife and my children and I. Uh, we thank you so much for the kindness you showed to us this past weekend. Uh, I just don't know what to say. I'm so humbled by the many uh, kind expressions that were made to us through 
through the uh, spoken word, the written word, the uh, the giving of gifts, and I just I'm I, I don't know what to say. Certainly don't feel worthy of any of it. But you all are always so kind and gracious to show us appreciation and and respect, and I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. We love you very much, and I'm excited not only to labor with you in the kingdom of God here on earth, but I'm excited to go to heaven with you. Amen. We got a lot to look forward to. And won't we have a time when we get over yonder? Amen. What a blessing. It really is a blessing uh, to be able to, uh, to labor for the Lord at First Apostolic Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, I, I just, I thank God for that. I really thank God for that. Uh, the scripture that we're reading tonight, uh, and, and we're going to go through this a little bit because uh, it's very powerful what Nehemiah says to the children of Israel here. And I want to just, I want to just try by the help of God to expound on it a little bit uh, because this was a very important time in their history. This undertaking that they were uh, a part of was, was quite remarkable. Uh, they were, they were, were not just building a wall, they were rebuilding a wall. I want to point that out because sometimes it is harder to rebuild something than it is to build something. Building something takes everything you've got, your blood, your sweat, your tears, all of your energy, your focus, your emotion is dedicated to it, and by the time you finish building it, you pretty much have spent yourself in that, in that task. So for an enemy to come in and tear down what you've built is so, uh, is so devastating. And many people don't recover from that. But, but God gives us a special strength, hallelujah, to rebuild what the enemy tore down. And I don't know what you're facing tonight, but I, I can assure you that if you're in the middle of a rebuilding, God can give you the strength to rebuild what the enemy has tried to tear down in your life. Amen. We can get so caught up in, 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 in being uh, remorseful, regretful, or, or even just devastated might be the word about what what was torn down and, and how long it took to build it up. But God says, I'm going to give you a strength to rebuild it. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. Now, this was an unenviable job. This wasn't something everybody was, you know, trying to get. They weren't applying for the job of cupbearer. But it did put him in proximity to the king, and he had the favor of the king. He had the trust of the king. Basically the job went like this. The king gets served a meal, food and beverage. But because the the preferred form of assassination in those days was to poison the head of state, there was a cupbearer who would eat the food first, you know, the necessary parts of it. Who would drink a little bit out of the cup first. To make sure it wasn't poisonous. And if the cupbearer didn't clutch his throat and fall down dead, then the king would go ahead and have the rest of the meal. So Nehemiah's job wasn't something everybody was standing in line to get. But it did afford him the trust of the king. Because every single day, multiple times a day, he risked his life for the king. And so Nehemiah had that kind of favor with the king, and, and it was a good relationship that they had. And the king had respect unto him. He had respect unto the people of God that Nehemiah represented. One day, Nehemiah walked into the presence of the king, and it was unlike other days. He walked in with a sad countenance, and the king observed that, noted that it was unusual for Nehemiah to have a sad countenance. I wonder... Just for the sake of wondering, if we would shock everybody around us if we ever walked in with a sad countenance. I wonder if everybody would have the same reaction as the king. Oh, something must be dreadfully wrong today. Or, God forbid, it be the opposite. Where would it, when you walk in with a happy countenance, that's when they're shocked. 
I know that wouldn't be the case. Put a smile on your face and let the joy of the Lord be seen by those who encounter you. And so the king was, he was surprised because Nehemiah did not approach his job. Now, his job again was not one that, uh, it probably would be one of those jobs that showed up on the reality show that, that, that wasn't the one everybody wanted. But he, but he approached it with happiness. He approached it with eagerness. He approached it with zeal. And so let that be a lesson to us that regardless of what we are doing uh, as a vocation or a calling, do it as unto the Lord. And you will bless those with whom you come in contact. And Nehemiah experienced that one day because of this moment where his countenance was sad and the king was expecting the normal jovial Nehemiah, the normal happy-go-lucky Nehemiah. And instead, he, he encountered somebody who was, who was rather down. And he said to him, why the sad countenance? Why the sad face? And Nehemiah said, well, because my city, the land of my heritage, lay in ruin. And there is so much potential in that city, in the land of my heritage. There is so much to, to experience. And, and it is true that the Jews were, were wanting to rebuild the city. But, but you can't do anything within the city if the walls are torn down. And so Nehemiah said, it's just, it's just in me to go back to my city, to go to my city and rebuild that wall that was devastated by the adversary and the king agreed the king thought it was a good idea not only did he think it was a good idea he funded it he gave him his favor he gave him his his resources and Nehemiah went with the favor of the king to go rebuild the wall around Jerusalem and this ladies and gentlemen is what we call revival we need revival. In 2016, the United States of America, we need revival. We need something to grip the hearts and minds of the people of God to say, hey, we need to do something for God. We need to see the glory of the Lord in our, our nation again. We need to see the glory of the Lord in our churches, the glory of the Lord in our homes. And so Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem and there the revival began. They began to rebuild that wall. And there were those who uh, criticized him for it. And, uh, and in fact, their names are Sanballat and Tobias. Sanballat and Tobias uh, really did attack Nehemiah and the Jewish people as they proceeded to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It started out as... Mockery. It started out as bullying, verbal bullying, and telling them that they were wasting their time, that this is a bygone civilization, that this people is a, these are a scattered people, and there's no use to trying to revive something that already died. Sound like something the enemy may have told you before. No sense in trying to revive something that is already dead and in the ground. And Nehemiah looked at the people and said, just keep working. Just keep doing what God told us to do. Don't pay them any attention. Just keep doing what the Lord has called us to do. And so they did. But the threats became worse. The threats actually moved. They moved from just mockery. And they actually became uh, physical threats. Physical threats of violence were issued that we will come and and, uh, and, and fight you and tear you down from that wall. And Nehemiah said, under no circumstances will we come down from this wall. We're not going to stop until the job is complete. But they said, come down or we'll bring you down. And Nehemiah looked at his workers and said, hold a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. Don't go to work without your spiritual weapon." He said, hold a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. One way or another, we are not coming down from this wall. They even went as far as to challenge the competency of the workers as they built this wall. The competence of the workers. They said, they said you don't even know what you're doing. You're doing it all wrong. They said, if so much as a fox were to climb up onto that wall, 
the whole thing would come down. They knew what would get, you know, at a, at a man when a man's trying to do a job. They knew what would, what would really get under his skin. And, and yet Nehemiah prevailed spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically and overcame the temptation to react to these threats and to these insults and to this mockery. Eventually, they, they, were, they were in a mindset because the Bible said they had a mind to work. One scripture says it so beautifully, let us rise up and build. Hallelujah. And they did just that. But this wasn't just a revival of building the wall, rebuilding the wall. This was a revival of all that God had given to Israel. Because Israel was to have a relationship with God. They were to understand the law of God. They were to understand the law as given to them by the prophet Moses. In fact, they were supposed to read it every year. But when they went into captivity, this, of course, became something that was not done uh, as a way of, of an organized effort. And so it, it, they failed to be able to do it. But something was changing now. And so the Bible says that they brought the law of God. Ezra, the priest, the scribe, he brought the law of God and read the law of God in the ears of all the people of Israel. Everybody who could understand, everybody who could hear and understand and could pay attention now. They were to hear the law of God. And as Ezra read the law of the Lord in the ears of the children of Israel, the Bible says that they, they wept and they mourned as they heard the law of God. Now you have to understand that they were excited to hear this law. They were excited to hear about their heritage, to hear about what God had given to them as a people. And so when Ezra rolls open those scrolls they're thrilled and excited to hear what he's going to say but when he started reading it they started realizing that there was a far cry between who they were and what God expected them to be when you look at the life of Jesus Christ and you're honest about it then you too will understand that there is a far cry between who you and I are and who God expects us to be. I want you to know when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you're not just looking at the life of a great teacher or the life of a great sage. You're not just looking at the life of one great spiritual leader. You're looking at who you and I are supposed to be. And we could never be that except by the power and the grace of Almighty God. And so when they heard the perfection of the law, the law is perfect. It, it, it prescribes perfection. It requires perfection. And as they heard this law uh, explained, because see, Ezra read it. Nehemiah was the Tirshatha, the governor, went from the cupbearer to the governor. He has been promoted over this region and as the Tirshatha the priest the scribe and all the Levites who taught the people they're all standing the Bible says on a pulpit of wood behind a pulpit of wood and the people are listening to them read the law and give the understanding of the law so they would read it and then they would explain it read it and explain it read it and explain it and the longer they went the more challenging it became for people to even hold their heads up. When you begin to realize your own sinful state, it's kind of like what they felt on the day of Pentecost when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. You begin to realize, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm far from God. Stop thinking that you are so perfect. Stop thinking that you have it all figured out. Stop believing that you know better than God. Stop thinking that you know it all. You don't, I don't, none of us don't, and we all desperately need God to move in our lives. We are to be dependent upon his word, reliant upon his grace. Hallelujah. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that old question if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. 
If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, where would I be? I'm glad to tell you that if you're saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized, washed in the blood of the Lamb, you don't have to know the answer to that question. Because that's not a life you'll have to live. You can live a life victorious and abundant in Jesus Christ. But Nehemiah and the children of Israel heard the words of the law and people began to weep. People began to mourn. People began to grieve. The more they heard, the more they realized it's hopeless, it's helpless. We don't know, we don't know how we could ever live up to this. And Nehemiah stood up in the middle of all of it and said, all right, stop. Mourn not. Stop crying. Dry it up. He said, this day is holy unto the Lord. He said, go eat the food and get something to drink and share it with your neighbor and find somebody to have fellowship with because this day is holy unto the Lord and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, hallelujah. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I need to hear that tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to preach to me for a moment. I need strength in the Holy Ghost. I need real strength from on high. I need strength from heaven. Is there anybody here who needs strength? I'm talking about real strength. I'm not talking about an adrenaline rush. I'm not talking about a caffeine high. I'm not talking about some kind of an emotional experience. I'm talking about real strength that gets down into your bones, that gets down into the fiber of your being and makes you strong in the Lord. Oh, he can do it. He can give you strength and he can give it to you right now. He can give you strength for your test. Strength for your task. Strength to carry your heavy burden. Woo. How many got a heavy burden on you right now? You got a heavy burden on you right now and you know that God has called you to carry it. You know, we can, we, I, I, listen, I'm all for bringing our burdens to the Lord and leaving them there. I am. And I'm thankful that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But what do you do when Jesus looks at you and says, take up your cross? All I wanted to do was shout, take up your cross. All I wanted to do was somebody tell me how good I am and how good I look and how good everything's going to be. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm going to tell you, if he gave you a cross to carry, he'll give you strength to carry it. Glory. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it. Go ahead, square your shoulders, lift your head, narrow your eyes, and understand that God is going to give you strength. And you don't have to wonder where it comes from. He'll tell you where it comes from. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Glory. Hallelujah. Go. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So now, we know what the strength is. The strength is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is the strength, and the strength is the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is the strength, and the strength is the joy of the Lord. So now the, the key becomes understanding what is the joy of the Lord. Because joy of the Lord is different than joy of the world. Joy of the Lord is different than even happiness. I know, I know everybody wants to be happy. They want to feel like a room without a roof. But sometimes you just don't feel like a room without a roof. Sometimes you feel like a room with a roof on your shoulders and you're having to kind of creep in Sometimes you feel like everything's closing in on you. Joy is different. It's not based on what your circumstances are. You know, we, when we talk about happy, we talk about those moments that are happy and those environments that are happy and those, those experiences that are happy and those folks that make us happy. And, and we entertain ourselves to make us happy. 
And folks, folks, folks will try to take something to make them happy. The happiness of this world is not your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the joy of the Lord can come in the midst of sorrow. The joy of the Lord can thrive in the middle of pain. The joy of the Lord can thrive in the middle of uncertainty. The joy of the Lord can be felt, can be experienced, can, can give you strength in the middle of the most adverse of circumstances. When you shouldn't have anything to laugh about, the joy of the Lord will give you something to laugh about. When you shouldn't have anything to look forward to, the joy of the Lord will give you something to look forward Forward to when nobody around you understands why you've got a song you're singing and a dance in your step. Oh, hallelujah! If you could hear my song, you'd understand my dance. God has given me joy in the midst of whatever I may face. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So let's look to the word of the Lord. Let's don't just surmise or speculate. Let's look to the word of the Lord and understand what is the joy of the Lord. Because the Bible does refer to the joy of the Lord. So I want to take you to a few passages of scripture. Luke chapter 15 refers to the joy of the Lord. Luke chapter 15. Verse 4. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise... Joy shall be in heaven. Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Oh, hallelujah. There is joy in heaven when one sinner turns from their wicked way. And makes their way back to God. There's something about that one sinner. And it doesn't matter what the sin was. It doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter how deep, how dark, how sinister, how troubling, how disturbing. If they turn from their wicked ways, there's joy in heaven. Glory, hallelujah. He didn't stop there. He went on. Luke 15 and verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. You know, it's interesting. Those are two different things. A lamb being lost and a coin being lost. If a lamb is lost, if you can get within proximity of that lamb, you might be able to hear that lamb bleating. You might be able to hear that lamb alert you as to its lost condition. And there are some folks who know they're lost. And they'll alert you, hey, I'm lost and I need to be found. But there are other people who are like that coin. It has value in this world and doesn't know that it's lost. Can't alert anybody that it's lost. Can't speak up for itself and say, speak to me, pray for me. Reach out to me. But the Lord said, when the coin is found and when the lamb is found, there is joy in the presence of the angel. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There are folks sitting in this place right now. You didn't know you were lost when you came to God. It wasn't until somebody found you. And you realized, oh, this is where I belong. In the presence of my God. And there's joy. Joy. Joy in the presence of the angels. Joy. In heaven, Matthew chapter 25 talks about joy, deals with the joy of the Lord. I'm going to read to you what happened after the master gave to his servants five talents and two talents and one talent. And after verse 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh. And reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord noticed this, because this man's about to go to heaven. So notice what the Lord says. His Lord said unto him, Well done. Didn't say medium rare. He said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. About folks coming home. There is joy in heaven. There is joy in the presence of the angels. Something about somebody reaching the golden strand. There is joy. The joy of thy Lord is when the two-talented servant walks in with four talents. When the five-talented servant walks in with ten talents. When the lost lamb returns home. When the lost coin is found. There's joy. And that joy is your strength. Let's read on. Let's continue. To understand what joy is. What is this joy and what in the world does it have to do with heaven? Why is there joy in heaven? Why is there joy in the presence of the angels? Why when I die, hallelujah, by and by, do I enter into the joy of my Lord? Let's read on. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. After the famed faith chapter of Hebrews 11 where the writer goes through a masterful depiction of one Bible hero after another. Every one of them, so many of them, Abel and Noah and Enoch and Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Moses and, 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 and finally comes to a point where he says, I don't even have time to tell you about Samson, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, David, there are so many. And through faith, they subdued kingdoms. Through faith, they stopped the mouths of lions. Through faith, through faith, they did this. And he said, I don't even have time to tell you about all of them. But I can tell you in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12 that we are compassed about. With so great a cloud of witnesses. Oh, hallelujah. We are compassed about 
with folks who have slain giants. We are compassed about with folks who have been through lion's dens. We are compassed about with folks who have been through the fiery furnace. Listen, if you're facing a fiery furnace and you don't know whether you're going to make it out alive, let me tell you, you are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Hallelujah. Saints of all the ages are cheering you on, saying you can make it. You can make it. You can endure that trial. You can endure that temptation. This isn't the time to give up. This isn't the time to backslide. This isn't the time to turn around. There's a great cloud of witnesses. Ah, Who are letting you and I know, hey, you can make it. So, So since we know that, let us... Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. We've all, we all know what that's talking about. It doesn't even have to be talking about the same thing for each of us. But we've all got certain weights and certain sins that just seem to so easily. We can be doing great. I'm talking about not cloud nine, cloud 99. And this one little thing that we struggle with comes along. It can be in the form of an offense. It can be in the form of a hurtful word. It can be in the form of a lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, or pride of life. And it just seems to so easily beset us. And he's telling you, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Every sin and every weight, lay it aside. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. Don't pick it up again. Don't look at it again. Don't go back to it again. Let it be a part of your past. Lay it aside. Every weight, every sin. That doth so easily beset you. Hallelujah. And so somebody said, he said, then and let us run then with patience. The race that is set before us. Somebody asked, how am I supposed to do that? And he tells us in verse 2, you do it this way. Looking unto Jesus. I'll tell you what my mother always told me. Don't get your eyes on people. Keep your eyes on Jesus. People will disappoint you. We've all disappointed people. Every last one of us. I don't care how good of an example you are. You and I and everybody else have disappointed folks at one time or another. But if you look at Jesus, he has never failed me yet. Hey, I've been young and now I... I don't know what I am, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, and I've never seen his seed begging for bread. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've seen the righteous struggle. I've seen the righteous stumble. I've seen the righteous have doubts and battles, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. So keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Now notice, I'm going to skip this one phrase, okay? And I want to go to the part where it says, he endured the cross, despising the shame. We don't talk about that a lot. We talk about him being the meek little lamb, lowly. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. They spat on him. They kicked him. They mocked him. They beat him. They whipped him. They wounded him. They bruised him. They chastised him. They laid on him the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Father to bruise him. He was stricken and smitten. Not just smitten. Smitten of God. And afflicted. And we esteemed him not. We, 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 we hid, as it were, our faces from him. There was no form nor comeliness that we would desire him. 
And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the whole time he went through all of it, he despised every ounce of it. He despised that shame. So much that before he had to go through it, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and actually tried to negotiate out of it. This was not an easy thing for him. He despised the shame. But he endured the cross and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did he do that? How did he endure the cross? How did he despise the shame? He did it for the joy that was set before him. The joy was in front of him. And so he endured the wounding for the joy. He endured the bruising for the joy. He endured the mockery for the joy. You know how you're going to get through your trial? For the joy. You know how you're going to get through your temptation? For the joy. You know how you're going to get through your struggle? For the joy. You know how you're going to keep the faith? For the joy. You know how you're going to keep on living for God? For the joy. Set before you. He kept his eyes on the joy. Pilate tried to bait him into an earthly debate. He wouldn't fall for it. He wouldn't open up his mouth with Herod. They said, they said, are you the king? He said, well, go check folks in the synagogue. Go listen to my podcast. People know they've heard me speak. Go ask them, why weren't you at synagogue, sir? Hearing me speak. Kept his eyes on what really matters. The joy. The joy. Job, chapter 38. Job, chapter 38. This whole book of Job. Is of a man the Bible calls perfect. Not perfect in the sense that he was like Christ. Perfect in the sense that he dotted every I. Crossed every T. He didn't miss a morning sacrifice. He did everything the way you were supposed to do it. And he did it so well that he was pretty well convinced that his righteousness had pretty much sealed the deal and saved the day. And here's what you and I and Job all have to understand. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so Job's whole world came crashing down. And it was an absolute attack of the enemy. We see in the, in the life of Job something we don't get the luxury of seeing in every other trial and tribulation of the Bible. We see the behind the scenes. There's a day that the sons of God are appearing before the Lord. And Satan comes among them. And the Lord said, what are you doing? He said, I'm walking through the earth looking for somebody to torment. And the Lord said, uh, have you considered my servant Job? Well, of course I've considered your servant Job. But you've got a hedge about him that I can't get to him. And the Lord said, I will take down a part of that hedge. And you can reach into his life only this far. And he allowed Satan to reach in only so far. And Job still retained his integrity and did not curse God and charge God foolishly. And then the devil came back and said, but you've got a hedge about his body. And the Lord said, all right, I'll take down the hedge around his body, but you cannot extinguish his life. You know, that was a trusting relationship. Not only did Job trust God, God trusted Job. That's what friendship is. And if you've been blessed that God has trusted you with a trial, then you ought to get through it for the joy set before you and understand, hallelujah, that he's going to save somebody around you. Through your struggle, through your torment, through your difficulty, God is going to save somebody from your trial and your tribulation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
<laughs> he said to Mary, you are blessed and highly favored. She said, thank you. And later said, I think. Because the blessing of the Lord, ladies and gentlemen, hallelujah, comes upon us. And there is, there is a struggle and there is a trial and there is a challenge. And Job experienced it. And he had some friends to come by, some comforters. And the comforters came. And when they looked at the plight of Job, they said, uh, for seven days they didn't say anything. They just covered themselves up in sackcloth and ashes and all just kind of looked at each other. And after seven days, somebody finally broke the awkwardness and said, this is crazy. Job, what in the world have you done? You must have done something horrible. And Job said, oh, quite the contrary. I've never done anything wrong. He said, well, you had to have done something in order for God to try you like this. And Job began to defend his own righteousness. And they attacked his righteousness. He defended his righteousness. They attacked. They were both wrong. And Elihu stood by and watched it for 37 chapters. And finally, in the 37th chapter, he opened up and said, I can't take it anymore. I've watched you attack his righteousness. And Job, I've watched you defend your righteousness. And all of you are missing the point. And after Elihu preached to Job, then the Bible says that the Lord showed up. In a whirlwind. They're all sitting there talking with each other, and a tornado shows up. And Job was like, oh, I thought things had been bad up to this point. And out of the whirlwind came the voice of the Almighty God. He said things like, he started out by saying, listen, Job. He said in verse 2, Verse 1, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee. And answer thou me, where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if you have understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest so much? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? All this book Job has been talking about how righteous he is and how he knows this and that about God and this and that about how things work. And finally God had had enough and said, all right, if you're so smart, then tell me how I laid the foundations of this earth. Tell me where I laid the cornerstone. Tell me where I fastened it all together. You talk to me if you know so much. Gird yourself like a man. At one point he said, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? In other words, can you go out into the waters and, and catch Leviathan with a fishing hook and reel him into your boat? And if you do, what are you going to do when you get him in the boat? You, there's some things you don't know, Job. There's some things you don't understand. There's some things you can't figure out. My ways are past finding out. My ways are above your ways. And my thoughts are above your thoughts. Hey, you better fear God. You better fear God. That's what you need to fear about God. Is that his ways are higher than your ways. And his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And he knows what's best for you. And he knows things you don't know. And Job had to just sit there and listen. At one point, at one point he was so humbled by the... By the word of the Lord. And he opened up his mouth. And he said, Lord, I have seen your power. And I will humble myself. And I will hear what you say. And the Lord said, hey, I'm not done. Stop talking. And he went on another whole chapter. In verse 7 of Job 38. And this is where I really want to point your attention. The Lord said this to Job. About what Job does not know. He said, when the morning stars sang together 
What do you know about that, Job? Because, see, there's stuff deep, 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 deep in the mind of God about a time you know nothing about, about a time I know nothing about. There's no scientist that can dig it up, no archaeologist that can excavate it. There is no telescope that can spot it. There was a time when the morning stars sang together and verse 7, and when all the sons of God shouted for joy. Job, I'm trying to tell you that there's some stuff you'll go through you don't know anything about. You don't understand why it happens. And I can't expect you to understand, but you're just going to have to understand that I know about stuff you don't know about. And there was a time when all, all the sons of God shouted for joy. There was no devil. There was no rebellion. There was no cancer. There was no sickness at all. There was no division. There was no disruption. There was no, there was no chasm. There was no disunity. There was a time when the morning stars sang. And they didn't just sing an individual song. They sang together. And all the sons of God, every last one of them, all of them shouted for joy. And so help me, Job. It's going to be that way again. I'm going to bring my children home and they will have joy. That's why when one sinner repents, there's joy in heaven. That's why when one sinner is found, there's joy in the presence of the angels. That's why when a five-talented servant comes to the Lord, hallelujah, he says, Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. John said in his third epistle, he said, I have no greater Joy. This wasn't just his greatest joy. This is God's greatest joy. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The joy of the Lord. You want to know what it is in a very basic nutshell? The joy of the Lord is when we all get to heaven. What a day. Of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. We will sing and shout the victory. That's my strength. That's your strength. That's your strength. That's how you're going to make it. That day is coming. That day is coming. He's coming. He's coming. And we're all going to be together in the presence of the Lord. I can get through this sickness. I can get through this trial. I can get through this tribulation. Because the joy of God is my strength. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll see my grandfather there. He won't have any sickness in his body. There'll be no sign of old age in his body. There'll be no discrepancy in his body. I'll see my grandmother there. She'll be among the morning stars singing together you're going to see hallelujah the saints of all the ages join together singing redemption song worthy is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world worthy is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world <laughs> Come on, Israel. Keep rebuilding. Come on, Israel.
Israel. You can face down your enemy. Come on, Israel. You've got something to fight for. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. 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 When Nehemiah said to those workers, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Listen, the gates they were building, they were a reflection of what is already established in the new Jerusalem. The foundations they were laying, it was a reflection of what is already established in the new Jerusalem. When you labor for the Lord, you labor for the Lord knowing it is done in the name of Jesus. It is finished in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Somebody ought to stand to your feet in this place. Lift up your voice and shout for joy. 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 Leap for joy. Dance for joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Ah, glory. Glory. Hallelujah. 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 Worthy. Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Holy. Holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of His glory. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Labor on. Hallelujah. Soldier on. Hallelujah. Pray on. Hallelujah. Worship on. Hallelujah. Fast on. Come on. Keep on. Keeping on. Don't you let anything pull you down from that wall. Don't you let anything keep you from being the man of God you're anointed to be. The woman of God you're anointed to be. The child of God you're anointed to be. And when you can't see anything around you on this earth worth fighting for, look unto Jesus. Who for the joy? 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 Come on, do it for the joy, saint of God. Hallelujah. Can I get a witness in the house of God tonight? I want somebody who needs some strength on this family night. I want you to get out in the aisle and praise his name. Come on, praise him for the joy. Worship him for the joy. Hallelujah. Come on, lift him up for the joy. There's joy in this house. There's joy in this house. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. Come on, somebody. Give God praise. Give God praise. Give God praise. Come on, somebody, step out of your seat. I know it's Wednesday night, but God is still God. I know it's Wednesday night, but He's still God, and He still has power, and He'll give you strength. I feel the joy of the Lord, fresh on me. I feel the joy of the Lord, delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost, it's all I feel the joy of the Lord delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's all in me. 
ghosts all over me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel the joy of the Lord delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost all over me. Yes, Lord. I have been loose. I've been set free. Pardon me a moment while I have a jubilee. Yes, the joy of the Holy Ghost is all over me. Yes, I have been loose. I've been set free. So pardon me a moment while I have a jubilee. The joy of the Holy Ghost is all over me. Yeah, 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 yes. I feel the joy of the Lord falling fresh on me. I feel the joy of the Lord delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's all over me. I feel the joy of the Lord delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's all over me. Lord, Father, fresh on me. I feel the joy of the Lord delivering me. I feel the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's all over me. Yes, yes, yes. I have been loose. I've been set free. So pardon me a moment while I have a jubilee for the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's all over me. Yes, 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 Lord. I have been loose. I've been set free. So pardon me a moment while I have a jubilee for the joy of the Holy Ghost. It's all over me. I feel the joy of the Lord falling fresh on me. I feel the joy.